The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 24, another post-hiatus episode. And imagine that, here we are back and, you know, it's almost four weeks and the White Sox still suck and, you know, we got all sorts of new problems with the Bears and, you know, all that kind of thing. But once again, Cigars and Sports Chicago, we're going to set the scene for you. We are at the Cigars and Sports Chicago studios. That is at The Place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. Please come visit us at The Place, 5236 Main Street. You can follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. And you can obviously get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know that because you're listening to a podcast. As always, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Phil Sullivan. How you doing? What's going on? How's your shoulder? You know, give us the uh, give us the update. And of course, what are you smoking tonight? So I'm smoking a Fuente short story. I'm trying to get to do a quick smoke here, but no, summer's going good. Uh, glad to be back on the show. Shoulder is uh, on the mend, doing a massive amount of physical therapy. I miss golf. The last time I golfed was with our current guest, believe it or not. So I'm either going to blame it on him or maybe his friend that brings me on the trip. But uh, I have not golfed since then, and I miss golf. So hopefully I'm told I might be ready by next uh, February or March, which might put me right in line with my annual meeting with Jim Lucy and some great friends uh, that I go on a golf trip with. Well, I just hope that you're going to live that long, um, but I think there's a pretty good, you know, pretty good chance you look pretty good. Um, so, you know, you gave us a spoiler, Phil, but here's what we're going to talk about tonight. Of course, we're going to talk about the White Sox. We'll complain about everything possible, as, of course, yesterday splitting a doubleheader against Kansas City. Tonight, we have the great Johnny Cueto, and tomorrow, Dylan C., so maybe we can win a couple games there. We're going to talk about the Bears and the Roquan Smith situation, but as you have already alluded to, we have a very, very special guest with us tonight by the name of Jim Lucy. Jim is an iconic sports media figure in this town. Jim has been, and he's an iconic sports media figure that you may not know because he's a guy who's behind the camera. Jim has been working in Chicago sports media for over 30 years as a camera guy for the White Sox, the Cubs, the Blackhawks, and the Bulls. But no, he has not only worked Chicago sports, he's worked all around the world, including having three Emmys for associate producer work in the Olympics in Sydney, Salt Lake, Torino, and Athens. And we are very excited to have Jim Lucy and his three decades of Chicago sports media experience. So, Jim, welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago. We're happy to have you. What's happening? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Phil. How you doing, Jim? Good to see you again. First question, Jim. So, were you at work today? Tell us about what happened at work. Set the scene for us. How was work? What did you do? You know, bring us inside the the day of a uh, of a sports cameraman. Yep, I did the uh, three game series with the uh, Cubs and the Nationals at Wrigley Field. I was on the visiting show broadcast. Started on uh, Monday night. We loaded in, set the show, 
It rained all day uh, Monday, but then by game time it was nice out. And I believe that night the Cubs won. And then uh, the next game was Tuesday, last night. And then um, this morning we got back here at 8 in the morning for a 1 o'clock game. And it was a beautiful day for baseball. And then we had to uh, do what we call strike the venue. We take all the camera gear out that we put in at the beginning of the series. Sets and strikes are what nobody likes. Um, You know, you bring in all the gear and you'd rather just have a day where you show up and then uh, walk away at the end of the day. But we just struck the compound with all the camera gear and stuff and set the mobile unit off on its way. And then we are on to the next gig. So for those of us that are not familiar with how the camera operator world works, is there, do you have a specific assignment? So I know that obviously there are different cameras that are in different spots. Um, you know, some guys are sort of locked down, you know, next to the dugout or down the line. Um, other guys are mobile. So how does that whole thing work? And give us an idea of kind of how does that work for you? Like, what did you what did you do today? Yeah, so for any particular broadcast, there might be six to eight to ten cameras for, you know, more like five or six cameras for a, uh, for a normal broadcast. And each, each team has their own show. So the home show uh, will have their own uh, guys and their own crew. And then the visiting show will have their own guys and their own crew. And each uh, camera, you know, we have cameras at low first and low third. We have cameras at uh, like a high first and a high third. We have a high home camera. And each camera position uh, has their own um, assignments that the director requires requests you to have. You you know everyone can't follow the ball out of the park. You know someone's got someone's got the runners. Someone's got the pitcher. Someone's got the uh, the ball going out of the park. Someone's got a you know quick shot of the manager. A quick shot of the, of the of the pitching coach. You know so everyone has their own uh, their own assignments and what they have to do for each particular uh, position. So you've been doing this for a while, and something that interests me is that, you know, it seems like back in the old days, they used to, and I don't know if they had fewer cameras or how it worked, but it appears that when you were watching a game, particularly a baseball game, they would hold the same shot longer. Like, for example, you would be looking in, you know, kind of the, you know, at the hitter for an extended period of time. You may go back behind the pitcher. But it seems like now, particularly on the high-budget national broadcast, it's almost like if you look at the way they move the shots around, it's like, bang, bang, bang. It's almost like they never stick with more than one shot for I don't know, two, three, four seconds. Is that my imagination or is that true? And sort of what goes on behind that? Yeah, yeah, they certainly have added cameras since, you know, like if you look at footage of, say, you know, Ernie Banks' uh, home run, there was probably four cameras, you know. I, I, I'm not sure. I wasn't shooting back then. But, you know, they, they definitely have added more cameras. You know, like I said, a normal broadcast may have five or six cameras, but, um, you know, you do something like the World Series and there may be, 25 cameras and two directors you know so they they load up on on the bigger events but yeah the director will cut around batter that's at the plate and then he'll cut to the pitcher and then he'll cut back to maybe the manager or whatever they're talking about and then and then the, and then the director will take camera four and uh, which is the pitcher catcher batter umpire and and then he'll ready camera two which is high home for the that's his first cut that he'll go to when the ball is hit. And, you know, everything's quiet and calm 
until the ball is hit, and then it's absolute mayhem because you don't know where the ball is going to go, right? So, uh, so he'll cut around, but like I said, the camera operators must stick to their assignments so he can almost cut the game. The director can almost cut the game without even looking up at the monitors in the in the mobile unit because you know you you have assignments and you must stick with them and and, and that helps everybody you know that helps the flow of the game and, and especially the viewer back home so it makes sense to the viewer what just happened. And do you know when your shot is being used? You know, do you have a sense of that or is there like a light yeah. on or something when they're on your camera? Yeah, yeah, he he readies your camera. He'll say ready 6 take 6, ready 4 take 4. So so you get readied and then he'll take you and then we also have tallies on our camera. It's a little red light on top of the camera and then you also have a red light in your viewfinder that uh is is your tally means you're hot, you're live, you're on the air. So here's something I'm really interested in and this is the this is the secret of the business. So when you're doing these crowd shots, right, you know, there must be sort of a method to the madness on sort of how you kind of pick a section of the crowd or who you center on or whatever the case may be. Because again, in watching, uh, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of hours of sports I've watched over my life, and particularly in baseball, where the pace of everything moves a little bit slower, it seems like whenever they do a crowd shot, the most attractive person in that shot is always in the direct center and it cannot be an accident. So are you looking around for, say, example, people like myself, like us really good looking people, and then you focus on us and sort of, how does that whole thing work? Because I know there's something with that. It can't be a random fan thing. Come on, give us that. Uh, yeah, you know, um, it was more prominent in the older days when, when you could we can get away with stuff like that. It's been pretty much clamped down as it climbs up the corporate ladder about what, what people can cut to and, and what we could show uh, on the air. It certainly was back in the old days. It was a little more, you know, we can get away with more 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 stuff of, you, you know, maybe, I don't know, more beautiful people or what, what whatever. But um, yeah, most of the time they're, they're looking for um, reaction from fans, nervous fans, you know, or once, you know, you know something an important part of the game they'll, they'll cut to. A lot of times we'll just have coming out of a commercial break, somebody on the crew may have friends or family there that they want to get on the air and do them a little, give them a little TV love, you know, and they'll, they'll cut to them. But, um, yeah, you know, and it helps to put nice looking people on, but you know what? We shoot everybody and, and everyone's fair, you know, everyone's fair game. If you're at the ballpark, you know, there's a chance you're going to be on TV. Um, so make sure you're not picking your nose or make sure you're there with who you should be there at the game with. Um, but it's a lot of fun. We, we have fun with it, um, uh, you know, cutting around cameras in the crowd. But then they usually get back to the game and tell the, tell the story of the ballgame. That, that was going to be my follow-up question on that same subject is, uh, Jim, you have to get feedback occasionally at the end of a game when you have had some fan shots where you get some feedback saying, boy, that one dude we showed that wasn't his wife he was with. Uh, ah. I mean, by the time the game ends, there's got to be a little feedback to that uh, every now and then, I would think. Yeah, but you know what? I, I've had that situation before, and I've had friends be like, "Why did you put me on camera?" And I'd be like, "Hey, you're at the ball game. You're in a ballpark. It's public. You're gonna get, you know, what, you know, why'd you bring your girlfriend to the game? And your wife might have been at home watching. I don't know. You know, it's not our fault. <laughs> and us camera guys, us camera guys, you know, we look around and we look for fun, interesting people, people having a good time dancing around or whatnot. Um, you know, but it's always up to the director to take the shot or not. So uh, I don't want to put the blame on the camera guys. I certainly don't want to blame the director. But we we're we're given rules now, and there's there's things we can and can't do on, on you know of course on, on TV anymore. So 
you know, uh, it seems the last few years they've got these camera guys that uh, more likely like the last All-Star game, and they'll run out with this balanced camera on a stick and follow the runner around third to home plate to the on-deck circle. For a guy that's been around since before that technology, what do you think of that camera angle shot? Yeah, you know, we, we love it, actually, um, because it, it really puts the viewer in the game. Um, you know, they, it's, a, it's called a steady cam, and a guy's got it on his, you know, it's a real, uh, the, the apparatus keeps the shot real still, and it looks cool when he runs next to the guy rounding third and heading to home, or maybe a, a football player in the end zone. Um, so it's a cool shot, you know, and it's kind of getting like towards like, uh, the video games that they have. So, you know, they, they just put, you know, they put the viewer right next to the, right, right next to the athlete. And most recently there's this new camera called the Megalodon that maybe you've noticed. That's a really nice looking shot in the background. The depth of field is really, you know, the background's out of focus, but the ball player's in, in focus and, and we think it's cool, um, because it just, it's just a new kind of like a new toy, but it puts the viewer right basically right next to the athlete. So we like it. Yeah, I love some of that stuff they're doing with the, um, you know, during the All-Star game with actually miking up the pitcher and miking up some of the outfielders and having those, you know, like you were just saying, having the camera guys like, you know, on top of the guys. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Makes the game so much better. And, and hey, just one question I had, too. The obvious question, obviously, we mentioned off the top that, you know, you've done every sport, hockey, basketball, baseball, um, you know, the Olympics, all that kind of stuff. So what's your, uh, what's your favorite sport? Uh, what do you like best and why? Uh, far and above and beyond uh, NHL, uh, hockey is my favorite sport. I'm a big hockey fan, and I love the game of hockey, and I would shoot it for free. I won't tell anybody this, but I would actually shoot hockey for half my rate because I love the game uh, so much. Uh, my son plays hockey, and I don't even sit in the stands. I basically take my camera, and I get down on the ice level with him, and I shoot all of his shifts and his teams. You know, I make little videos for his teams. But, uh, you know, and then, of course, we went through the whole Blackhawk, the, the big run in, in 2010, 13, and 15. And I was just in my glory uh, as a handheld ca- camera operator for the uh, Blackhawks. You know, I'm right at ice level. I get to go down into the hallway down by the locker rooms where all the players are and the coaches are. I get into the locker room with the players. So, you know, what a dream for a, for a real hockey fan to be part of all that, you know, that, so hockey far and above is, is my and favorite Jim, sport. You know, speaking of hockey, if I recall when I happened to be uh, away with you on a little golf excursion, your son, if I remember, you were talking about is a little more than your average hockey player. Give us a little insight on, on what your son's doing. Yeah, he's a pretty good hockey player. He's 15 years old now, and since the time he was three, three and a half years old, we put skates on him, and he just took off flying. And uh, all through his little career so far, he's been able to uh, be a step or two ahead of uh, a lot of other guys. And he's got a real knack for just embarrassing goalies. And he can put the puck in the net when he wants to. And a lot of his coaches have appreciated his play. He plays club level now. Uh, He played on his varsity hockey team last year for uh, his high school and as a freshman. And uh, but he plays club level now, and they really appreciate him. He's not the best hockey player at his age of, uh, by far. There's a lot of a lot of 15 year old kids in this in, the, in Chicagoland that are that, that are on their way to college and juniors, and, and you know, you know, we never say pro because uh, I don't know two percent or something make the pros, you know. But but my kids a joy to watch, and he's a lot of fun. He's he's kind of a little jackass on the ice, but uh, but you know, he's a, he's a tough kid. He's a grinder, but he puts the biscuit in the net, and uh, 
and we all appreciate it. He, you know, we like I said, we're a hockey family, and he loves the sport. So, and my daughter plays too. She's twelve. She plays twelve uh, year girls. Uh, she's more of a brute though than a goal scorer, but it's fun to watch. That's great to hear. So, most exciting, most exciting pro game that you've ever been involved in, where maybe as a camera guy, where obviously you have to keep your wits about you and control yourself and you can't be cheering and that sort of thing, but, you know, most memorable game that you shot. Most? And it seems like based on your nodding, you know exactly what it is. When we're shooting games, you know, it's 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 work. You know, we can't, nobody, nobody can watch the game and enjoy the game. And a lot of times you got to look up at the scoreboard to see what the score is sometimes or how much time's left in the game. But uh, I, I remember distinctly, I think it was Paul Konerko hit a home run in the World Series. And I watched the flight of the ball because I was so excited as a Sox fan that he knocked one out of the yard, that I completely blew my assignment, and I was supposed to follow him around the bases. But when he took, when he hit that ball and took off running for first base, I basically turned to watch that flight of that ball. And, uh, you know, he was out of my frame by far, and I caught up to him. And I heard about it an inning later. My uh, director, when we got to a commercial break, he said, hey, don't watch the game because, you know, why, why, why? he's like, you know, do your, do your assignments and stick with, stick with the game. But, you know, for the most part, we uh, we are trained to to not you know they have a saying like no cheering in the in the press box you got to you got to stick to your assignments and stick to your duties and, and do your do your job but you know like I said I've been involved in a lot of championship games in basketball hockey baseball you know where where there's exciting moments and a lot of times you get wrapped up watching TV we call it you know we got caught watching television well I remember that game um, I remember that game well uh, although I did not see your I did not see your screw up because I was uh, thankfully in the ballpark but that's uh, you know that that's really great to hear let's give us another one you know Phil says you're a really good story guy what do you got for us on stories like you know interesting thing that happened in Chicago sports you know interacting with some uh, you know some personality that we know you know what do you got for us on that yeah you know after all these years you get through a lot of moments that a lot of people don't get to enjoy um, you yeah. know one of my favorite things is getting to work we have to be at the ballpark at 7 a.m for a one o'clock game and you know, just to set everything up and get everything rolling for uh, to get our production going. But I, I really enjoy sitting out in the ballpark when it's just me and the grounds crew and a, a newspaper and a coffee. That that that's a lot of fun. You know, I have a there's a picture in, in, in at Sox Park when you walk in the front atrium of the first pitch of the World Series, and it's from home plate looking out at the pitcher, and beyond that is the camera guys. And we must have had about 15 cameras out out in the outfield. And it was a rainy afternoon, and, I, and we had a rain gear. And I was the only camera that had a yellow rain bag on my camera. So every time I see that picture, I know exactly, you know, exactly where I was for that. And, of course, the Blackhawk run was great. Some of my work in, in uh, Sydney in the Olympics, um, you know, I would work a, we work 12-hour shifts. You work midnight to noon or 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. or 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And my, my shift was 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., and I would get off work, and, and our venue was right next to the beach volleyball on, on Bondi Beach in Australia. And, you know, you'd get off work, and you'd grab some breakfast, and you'd go sit and watch beach volleyball. And, you know, there's just things that we get to do that the average person doesn't yeah. get to go to. You know, we get the, we get in the nook and crannies of, uh, of all the ballparks and, 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 and venues and stuff. You know, we're sitting right next to a dugout full of all-star players, and, and my brother just cannot believe that, I, that I'm standing next to – 
you know, he's a Cub fan, so he's always jealous of me when I'm in the dugouts. We hear a lot of chatter with basketball players. You know, there's a lot of street talk going on in the basketball games that we hear. The dugouts are pretty cool to watch the guys, you know, interacting with each other. You know, some of my favorite memories when I was young, and when I say young, I jumped into television when I was 30. So I wasn't young, but I was new in the industry. And I had to go get Bob Probert out of the Detroit locker room, uh, uh, the Hawks uh, Red Wings game. And, and I was in my glory because I had to go grab Bob Probert. I walked in and, and you know, their, their PR guy's like, yeah, go in there, go get him. We, we're ready to do this. And I'm like, you know, shaking in my boots. I'm like, Mr. 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 Probert, you know, we got to go do an interview. And this was in his heyday when you know, he was just, you know, flying all off, uh, flying off the walls and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's fun to grab him and walk him down a hallway. And, um, uh, you know, there's just, a, you know, there's a lot of, lot of times that we get to do a lot of things that the average fan doesn't get to do. And that's kind of my favorite part of uh, being a camera operator because a lot of it's work. But we do get access. We get an all-access pass to uh, everything that a lot of people don't get. Now, Jim, you told me once something about you were in Cleveland or Cincy or something, and you were getting ready to do a game and had a rain delay, and there was a certain pitcher that had a little routine that you might have interrupted or something. Why don't you fill us in on that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my, it's, it's probably one of my favorite stories that I can and can't tell, but, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys. It was actually White Sox Park. And I was sitting in, I was shooting low first, so I was right next to the uh, uh, Boston Red Sox dugout. And the game was about to start. It was about a half an hour, maybe 20 minutes away from starting, and it started to rain. So uh, the ball players all went back down in the dugout, back down into the clubhouse. And I was able to sit uh, on the, uh, inside the visiting dugout and be, to get out of the rain. And we're allowed to kind of go down there. We're not allowed pretty much in the home side, uh, you know, the home, the White Sox dugout, but we can kind of cruise through the play, the, the uh, visiting team dugout. And they got, they got buckets of bubble gum and they got seeds and they got stuff. So we can grab a handful. And, you know, it's kind of like we're not allowed to, but, but if we, if you do it quickly enough, you can grab a, a, a piece of gum or something. So I, so I sat down, I sat down right next to my camera and I, and I sat down and I, and I looked down to my left and there's a glove. And, and there's nine pieces of bubble gum right next to the glove. So I, I you know, and, and I, and I was soaking wet and I had a stupid Gilligan hat on. So I looked like a, a goof out there. So I looked down and I, and I, and I grab a couple pieces of gum because, you know, we can grab some gum and I'm sitting there chewing the gum and the game's about to start and I, I'm, I'm you know, stops raining and I'm about to get up and go back to my camera. And I look to my left and all I see is the groin of a full grown man right in my face. And I look, I look up. <laughs> And I won't name the player's name, but his initials were JB. And he looks down at me with, with the meanest look. And he says, did you just take my gum? And, <laughs> and I didn't even answer the guy. I get up, I walk away, and I go to my camera, which is only four feet away. And he goes out on the field in the first inning and proceeds to get shelled and pulled from the game in the, in the first inning. And he walks back from the pitcher's mound and stares me down as he's walking back to the... So what happened was I took... He had a little system. He puts his glove down, and he puts nine pieces of gum around it, so he's hoping to go nine innings. And I took his gum from him, so I think I blew his mojo. But, uh, you know, it's a <laughs> funny story. And I did. I looked at him once, and I just looked away and never looked at him again. But, uh, you know, so apparently I blew his mojo. But you know what? The Sox got to him early, so uh, it might have been a good thing for our team. 
<laughs> and meanwhile, you've got like a giant wad in your mouth and that sort of thing. So, so uh, you know, based on a couple stories you've told there and uh, and your hat that you're wearing right now. And by the way, um, it did occur to me that it, you may have been wearing a uh, socks hat at Wrigley today. So hopefully you were. Um, I, yeah, I put it did. on for this show, but uh, <laughs> man, we're not allowed to. Wear- we're not allowed to wear a lot of logos and stuff, especially opposing teams. And you definitely don't want to, you know, per our bosses, they don't want us wearing any uh, any emblems or logos or stuff. But um, but uh, yeah, I put the socks hat on for this uh, for the podcast. So, Jim, um, do you want to join us for a little bit of socks talk now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, all right. So we're going to talk about the White Sox. And by the way, you've been listening to. Um, Jim Lucy on Cigars and Sports Chicago. Um, Jim, a longtime camera operator um, in the Chicagoland area and around the world. It's been really good talking to you. And uh, it's bonus time because Jim is also a Sox fan. So we're going to talk about our favorite Chicago White Sox again, although I'm becoming, even though now a game and a half back, which is probably the closest they've been to the entire season, I believe that I'm actually getting more sort of fatalistic about the whole thing rather than less. So let's talk about where we are in the season. You know, it's the ultimate mediocre team, you know, two games over 500. In fact, I have a trivia question for you guys. So the Chicago White Sox, as of last night, since opening day of the 1978 season, had played 7,000 games over that period of time, since opening day 1978. Do you know what their record was over that period of time, over that 7,000 games? Take a guess. 3,500 and 3,500. Their record was 3,500 and 3,500. So, yes. So, yeah, let's talk about being 500. They're a game and a half back of both Detroit and Minnesota, and the problem is there is that sometimes you don't realize it, but it's now more difficult to make that game and a half climb because in order to pick up a game, you have to have two teams losing. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, as I mentioned that, they'll probably be up by a half game um, by the end of the week. So now um, Phil's favorite player, T.A., is out for six games or out for six weeks. So we're going to have to look at Lurie Garcia. And interestingly tonight, if you look at the lineup card, uh, Lenin Sosa is actually playing short tonight. So that's going to be interesting to see how that how that goes. Game starts in one minute. Um, we basically have two starting pitchers, Johnny Cueto and uh, and Dylan Cease. You know, Giolito, Lynn, and Kopech are all basically horrible. I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest about it. The one asset that we do seem to have is weak strength of schedule. We have the third easiest schedule in the American League for the rest of the way. Teams that we are facing um, have a 478 winning percentage. Unfortunately, Cleveland is fourth at 481, Minnesota fifth at 491. So the White Sox, Cleveland, Minnesota have the third, fourth, and fifth easiest schedule. So, Phil, I guess let's go to you. What do you think is going to happen? How are you well, feeling about the Sox? I, I know you're feeling good about T.A. I know you love him, but, you yeah, know, well, what do you, how do you think this thing's going to end? I think you can take a guess, Jim, uh, his sarcasm about my uh, love of T.A. I think he's probably the most overrated guy in the team. But that's uh, just my opinion for a guy that can only hit singles, commits a lot of errors, got a bad attitude, takes himself out of his game with his team over arguing over a ball. Bad right? attitude. Um, and, 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 but anyways, <sighs> I do want to make one kind con- you know, a month ago, the Sox were six games out of first. And in the last month, they are approximately 17 and 11. 
and they got themselves a game and a half out of first. Um, so that lends to me a bit of optimism for a team that, if you've watched them as closely as I have and probably all three of us have, should give you absolutely zero optimism for winning anything. But in this division with Minnesota, and Minnesota really sucks. I mean, if people think the Sox are playing bad, Minnesota's a bad baseball team. So let's hope we can catch that team. But, you know, once again, you know, you got to go into the playoffs against teams like the Yankees and Houston, and the Sox just, I don't think they got a clue. What's your what's your thought on that, Jim? Uh, I know Minnesota's, and I know we can. I know we can get past Minnesota. You know, it's the Guardians that we gotta. I think that is our biggest nemesis. But you know, and they're hard to follow and they're hard to watch. It seems like every time they walk over a foul line or, or something, yeah. they someone gets an injury, or you know, they, 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 the injury thing is killing us. It's no excuse. It's next man up. Um, and and but you know, at, at, with a game and a half out. You know, and and yeah, going into last year, it was playoffs or bust, and going into this year, it was World Series or bust. You know, as a Sox fan, I'm going to have to concede and say, you know, if we can make the playoffs, it's going to be a victory, right? And and I don't know who we're going to beat in the playoffs, but but if we can make the playoffs, it's going to be a victory. We've taken our lumps as Sox fans, and and we, we no one has an answer for what's going on. But it's a tournament once we get into it, and it's like it's like the, it's like the hockey playoffs. They, they call you know it's a, once we get into it, it's a tournament, and if and, it, and our only hope left is if we can all put it together and everybody can get healthy, and the, and the guys like you like you said, Steve, if if Giolito and Lynn and Kopech can put something together, we got we got a decent five man rotation, you know. So there's still hope. I'm 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 ever the optimist, and uh, you know I'll take another uh, division you know division title. Uh, it, it, that to me would be a victory. Jim, you're close to these guys on a regular basis. What is your take on this whole injury thing? Now, clearly, the White Sox have gotten have had a ton of injuries this year. But the reality is, is that if you just look at the data, so has almost every team. I mean, there are just more injuries than ever before, and you know it's hard to say why that is. You know, it's interesting because. Giolito did an interview earlier in the season, and he's a guy that put on 20 pounds worth of muscle in the offseason. And he got asked that question in an interview and said, well, you know, more muscles, more muscles to pull. Um, but what's your, what's your take on that? Like, why do you think there's so many injuries? And what do you see being close to these guys every day and sort of looking at the bodies and the way that they operate and all that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the, at the injuries. You know, it's like uh, Jimenez steps over the plate wrong and breaks it, you know, his buddy's out for whatever. TA's got the finger thing going now. And these guys, let me tell you, you know, being close to athletes, you don't appreciate it until you see it up close. These guys are are not human. They're huge. They're, they're huge men that have these huge muscles and they're stronger and they're faster and they're, you know, they're amazing. I can't believe I've fallen off of ladders. I've fallen off my roof. I've walked, you know, I, I've, I've done things and, and I, and I, and I walk away from it. These guys trip over a base or a foul line or something and it's another injury. It's puzzling, you know, and then I hear this other side, little, this dark little side where people are like, well, fire the trainers. Our trainers are horrible. I, I don't think, I don't think you yeah. can ever blame a trainer for a guy going out and tripping over a base and getting hurt. Maybe if they're, you know, out of shape or out of condition, I, I understand, but the injuries where these guys are pulling hamstrings and, and breaking fingers and stuff like that, it's, 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 I don't know if it's bad luck. It just seems like it's bad luck to get the injury bug. And I think 
if teams stay healthy, they go farther, you know, and teams don't, they get the bad breaks and they get the injuries. They're not going to go far because they're not going to be in the lineup. So, you know, and you look at some of these injuries and they're not all soft tissue injuries, you know, I mean, like this TA thing. I mean, somehow this guy damaged the hell out of his finger on a check swing or, you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, it's and then you look at a guy like Jose Abreu, who appears to be uninjurable. The guy is one of the top three guys and hit by pitches every year. Believe it or not, he actually runs to first on occasion because, as you know, White Sox baseball, that's our secret. We don't, we won't want to run too fast because you might get hurt running to first. Um, but this guy never gets hurt. And so many other guys, it just seems like they're hurt all, they're hurt all the time. And I don't know. If there's a load management thing where maybe a guy, you know, feels like he's got a hamstring or he feels like something and he, you know, then they're like, all right, we'll give you a couple days off. So then, you know, you'll stay healthier in the long term. I don't know if that's more of an issue than it used to be, but I just can't figure it out because it's not just the White Sox. It's everyone, yep. you know? Yeah. And, and here's another perspective. Baseball and basketball are non-contact sports, right? I mean, you sit in a hockey locker room. In the third period of game six, after they've gone through three rounds of playoffs, and there's blood and guts and gore and swelling and broken bones, and these guys come out and get stitched up and go out and play in the next period. You know, I mean, it's weird that a baseball player, I mean, yes, they run fast, yes, they run hard, you know, but, you know, it's like, I mean, try playing four rounds of hockey and walk the next day, and they do. And then it seems like baseball players, and I'm not putting the onus on, you know, baseball players are soft or anything, but it's a non-contact sport. I, you know, it's frustrating as a fan of any team when your baseball when your baseball players, you know, can't get out of bed in the morning without pulling a hamstring. Yeah, it's weird. So, Phil, why the hell can't this team score any runs? I mean, it's continue. I mean, we were fortunate to win that second game against Kansas City last night. I mean, why can't this team score any freaking runs? Well, they're not hitting, obviously, the long ball, which the league has kind of come back to being a long ball league, you know, and not quite like Sosa and McGuire, but having a contest. But, uh, you know, back to my argument with, with Anderson when someone says, Buddy's a 310 hitter. Well, he's a 310 hitter with a lot of singles that don't mean shit in a lot of time during the game. But I don't know why they're not hitting. I mean, Jim, I, I go back to what you just said. You know, do you, you really fire a trainer because of a guy pulling a hamstring? But you got to start looking at a hitting coach. Did they, did they switch a whole style a la back 30 years ago to Walt Hriniak when he got guys to completely change the way they ever swung a bat in their lives? I don't know why they're not hitting, but they're certainly not putting up runs. That's for sure. I, I would say 90% of every Sox game I've watched this year, if I've turned it on, by the second inning, they're losing. I don't. I don't think I've turned on three Sox games this year where they were winning when I turned the game on. Jim, what player has pissed you off the most this year? I mean, you got so many options. You know, we mentioned some of the pitching. Then you've got the incredibly amazing highest paid player on the team, which I know doesn't matter. You know, Yasmani Grandal, and then you got you've got Mancada. You know, you've got you've got a number of candidates. You know, you could you could argue Jimenez because he can't stay on the field, but who's your most who's your un MVP this year? Who's the guy? For Phil, it's it's always TA, so it's kind of a boring question. But for for you, um, who who do you got as your most disappointing player? Uh, tell me it's TA. It, it's a t- it's a tie 
Uh, you know, it's a tie, and I've never been a big Leori Garcia fan. I know he's a, yeah. a utility guy, and he plays everywhere. You know, he never seems to come through in the clutch. He hits the ball when we don't need runs and, and whatnot. And, and you know, and I try, and I try, and I try to be a Mankata fan. And I just don't know. He just yeah. doesn't. He doesn't get it done either. You know, I think it was yesterday's Kansas City game where we left two guys on in the eighth and two guys on in the ninth. We are watching it up in the press box. You know, it's just frustrating that guys, like Phil said, they, they just don't move. You just you got to move runners. You just have to move runners. You know, you got to put guys on and you got to move them over, or you're gonna you know end every inning with two you know two guys on base, three guys on base, and and uh, but I, I hate to single out anybody because you know I hate to just name names, but it's a tie between Mankata and Lori Garcia as they can go the sooner they're you know I, they, or start producing. You know, just prove me wrong and start producing, and you'll, I'll, I'll start to like you again. Well, Garcia, you've got the expectations thing, and you always know that when he plays too much, you know, he's probably going to get exposed. And interestingly enough, I'm very interested to see Lenin Sosa play short tonight because we have not seen that before. Because if that guy can do anything at the plate and catch the ball credibly, I would like to see him at short every day um, because we, we will see less of Larry. But to me... It's got to be Grandal. And particularly when you've got Sebi Savala, and I understand that, you know, he's a 29 year old guy who really didn't, who didn't get to the major leagues, you know, last year. The guy has hit, first of all, he's by far the better defensive catcher. It's not even close. And the guy has been hitting the baseball, and I just can't even understand the logic. You know, of putting Grandal in the lineup anymore, he just does nothing. He can't even the guy. The guy can't hit a sacrifice fly. He is just terrible. And he's a thirty-five-year-old catcher, so you know maybe he's run out of gas. You know, I don't know, but he can't hit anymore, man. What's our other option, Zavala? Our other option is Zavala, and at least I mean Zavala actually is hitting a little bit. And if not, I mean, here's the thing: I would say, and you saw this with Hendricks last night, if you watched the end of the game last night. I am concerned that in save situations, that Grandal can't even block the ball. Did you watch that ninth inning last night? There was a pass ball and a and a wild pitch on back-to-back pitches with Grandal back there. I want a defensive replacement in the ninth inning. I mean, the guy can't, and, and particularly those guys like Hendricks that has that just nasty slider that just bites into the dirt every single time. I am not comfortable that he can block the baseball in a one-run game with a guy on second or third. I don't even want him back there. I've never remembered a catcher that I am more worried about than him. Yeah, I have to agree. I did not see the game. I was working uh, the other game across town, but uh, I uh, I did not see the game. But you're right, you know, and catchers are important. I mean, so many pass balls, and, you know, if the guy can't, you know, if he's not a good backstop, you know, it's going to cost a... Yeah, and, you know, we complain about him too much, and so we're not going to get into it, but... You know, TLR, the guy just drives me crazy every night. I look at every decision. I look at every lineup card. Tonight he's got, you know, uh, Josh Harrison and his 298 on on base percentage leading off. Of course, he's got Grandal in the lineup. You know, Gavin Sheets, because, of course, you know, he plays the handedness thing, which, you know, modern baseball managers realize doesn't even matter that much. You know, Gavin Sheets is playing tonight. I'm sorry. I know Gavin Sheets has a very pretty left-handed swing when he hits a home run. But he has not 
proven that he's a major league player. It's just it all just drives me out of my mind. We want to get the TA report from Phil. Phil, what else do you have on TA? Uh, I got nothing on him. I, I don't believe I'm not believing he hurt that finger on a check swing. That's my opinion. I think he flipped off somebody in the locker room and they grabbed the finger and bent backwards. But uh, so I'm not buy, I'm not buying it. And Jim, I got to ask you: Are you like me when you see a shot of Larusa in the dugout? Is that searing memory of our casual run-in with him last spring? Or this year, uh, does that sear it into your brain when you see him in the dugout? <laughs> yeah. Steve well knows that story. <laughs> I was there. I just wasn't at the restaurant. You if just you weren't at the restaurant. But, yeah, I, I, every time I see him now, I just think of that searing memory of him uh, when we happen to run into him casually. Yeah, that was that was, that was a tough night. And uh, our, our other friend that was there with him that has to take a picture with him, I didn't know who needed more help standing up, uh, you know, our, our friend or TLR. But, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to figure out because, you know, he's a major league manager and, uh, you know, his history certainly speaks, you know, speaks volumes. You know, like you said, Steve, we can get into it forever. But I like I like LaRusso's mind. I don't like his body. You know, um, I, I think he's a great baseball mind. I think that's why he's there, but he is tough to watch. You know, they they had a shot of him like he was sleeping in the dugout or something. You know, but I I don't know how how that even flies. You, you know, but uh, like I said, I'm ever the optimist. Hopefully, this whole thing comes together and and Sheets and Vaughn put it together, and all the guys get healthy and we make a nice run. We got we need to go on a six or eight game rip and have a uh, help from the Twins and the Guardians to lose some games. So I'm staying optimistic about it, and let's get into the tournament at the end of the year, the playoffs, and see what happens. Hey, regarding TLR, his great history, I just want to tell you this. Um, Ray Liotta was a great actor, except now he's dead. <laughs> okay, let's pivot to a little bit of Bears here real quick. You want to stick with us here just for, for a minute on one Bears subject, Jim? All right. So let's talk about this Roquan Smith thing, because we have the um, – we have the modern, uh, the modern deal and the, um, the angry old man approach on this one as well with Roquan. So Roquan Smith, he's on his fifth year option. Um, so he played out his rookie contract. You know, he's been staging the hold in, says yesterday that, uh, now he wants to get traded. I mean, obviously he just wants to get paid. I'm sure he'd be happy to get traded, but you know, he'd prefer just to, to get paid somewhere. You know, basically there's going to be three ways this thing is going to work out, or maybe four. One is they're going to figure out a way to sign him before the season starts, which quite frankly, I think if you look at his history, is highly unlikely. It's a guy who held out his rookie year all of training camp when he was in a slotted salary position. He had no reason to even hold out, and he still did. So I'm concerned about that. He also has no agent. Um, They could either trade him, which I'm not sure how much you're going to get for, even though he is a great linebacker, a guy who doesn't really take the ball away, you know, or he can play on that contract, you know, or he can just not play at all. I mean, basically those are the four options. And I tend to think that what might happen is we may just get right down to the wire in the season and he may just play for that contract because I'm thinking that the Bears are probably not going to be able to figure out a way to get that done. And it's easy to blame Ryan Poles on this, but I'm not sure that I do because if the guy wants to be the highest paid linebacker in the NFL, 
I'm not sure that I'd make him the highest paid linebacker in the NFL. So I'm not really, you know, I mean, I love the guy, but he doesn't really take the ball away. So, you know, what do you guys think about the situation and how do you think it'll end up? You know, we joked around him having a contract and a rookie contract. He's got a year left and, you know, he should honor it. You know, I get the fact in the NFL and Steve, you brought it up. These guys can get injured at any time, you know, so the guy has probably outplayed his rookie potential. But he's asking for a lot of money. He's trying to compare himself to, you know, two other proven guys, to Fred Warner and, and Leonard, probably should kill him. Darius Leonard. And, uh, you know, he's uh, he's going in with a new defensive coordinator. So, we, you know, the Bears don't know how he's going to fit in or how he's going to play in a new system. They know how he played in the old system. They don't know yet how he's going to play in the new system. And then, uh, you know, back, you've heard me say this too the last few years, you know, it's a offensive league now. I mean, the days of the monsters of the midway and your linebackers and your defenses running teams, you need a good defense, don't get me wrong, but it's an offensive league, and I think Poles has to watch where he spends all his money because he's definitely going to need money for offense if he wants this team to improve in the next few years. So those question marks there, in my opinion, uh, in all seriousness, this guy doesn't deserve, you know, top NFL linebacker money yet. I, I just don't think he does. What do you think, Jim? I think Poles should get it done. I think they should talk him off the ledge and not let him, you know, I think those texts that he sent out the other day to NFL Network or whoever he sent out those texts, you know, I think it was a, a, an you know, an impulsive thing. I think he should get an agent and let his agent do his talking uh, for him. And I also think that he, you know, if he does get signed, what do they say? Put you know, put your money where your mouth is. Let him get signed. Let him play. Let him prove that he's worth you know whatever he get, gets or whatever he's gonna get. And uh, you know, show you know, show us, show us what you got. And, and and I'm not sure of his numbers either. If he's a top five, you know, as far as tackle his numbers. But if he if he wants that money, you know, put up or shut up, and and let's play football. You know, just give, get 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 rid of all the clutter and just get on the field and and, and produce and 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 show us what you got. I mean, he's a two-year All-Pro, so I mean, clearly he's one of the best four or five linebackers in the in the NFL, and I think most people would agree with that. But the difference between him and, for example, Darius Leonard is that Darius Leonard takes the ball away, you know, and he does not take the ball away. And I'm not sure that I want to pay, you know, five years and 120 million or something, you know, of cap space, you know, for that. You know, for that situation, but I guess we'll just have well, to I see mean, how you're saying, that Steve, whole thing plays out. You know, uh, Leonard um, Leonard's got seventeen forced fumbles. Uh, yeah. Smith has one, so you know they'll tell you right there. Leonard's got seven interceptions. Smith has one. Um, so I mean, I, I wrote written some of these notes down earlier. You know, Smith's yeah. got five interceptions. Leonard's got eleven. I, when I said earlier about the seven and one, he, he's got one fumble recovery. In his career, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery. Um, he's only got five interceptions. He's got, he's up there with sacks. I get that, but uh, that other part of his game, and once again, trying to fit into a new defensive scheme, um, you know, it could be interesting to see how he does. We'll see how it works out. I think the only thing we know for sure about the Bears this year is that they're going to suck. But, you know, it should be interesting. I mean, hopefully to me, um, you know, if we can prove that Justin Fields is a, you know, 
you know, a credible NFL quarterback. And if you have a few guys that, you know, break through this year and are guys that maybe were, that are not on the radar this year, um, going into the year that all of a sudden turn out to be good players next year, we're going to have the most cap space of any team in the NFL. So you got to have that optimism, but I am not optimistic about what the record is going to be. So guys, um, that wraps up episode 24 of Cigars and Sports Chicago. Um, Jim Lucy, it has been great having you. We are honored to have you as a guest, being the icon that you are, and been able to share some insights and learn some stuff about the the camera world that we did not know before. I will never watch a game um, uh, the same again as I will be putting on the White Sox. Oh, by the way, one quick White Sox thing. So I'll give you. So um, Mancada was just up with runners on first and second and one out. What do you think he did? I'm going with the double play. No. He did his specialty, struck out looking. He has the most strikeouts looking of any player in the major leagues since 2019. Uh, But anyway, so thanks a lot for being with us tonight, Jim. We appreciate it. Phil, as always, great job. Thanks. Adios. Good to see you again, Jim. It's been good. Yeah, thanks everybody, and uh, we will talk to you soon. That is a wrap, cigars, and sports Chicago episode twenty four. Talk to everybody else soon. Yeah. Of nature growing in the brushes down by the riverside.